Hey guys, it's uh, November and um, uh, I really neglected to do this Sunday and I should have, um, but you know, this is all, all November long, we're going to be challenging you about Christmas uh, opportunities. Um, we, we pack these, uh, these food boxes for Myron's church, innovation church. And some of you who know Myron talk, he'll tell you just how important those things are. We are also planning a trip to French camp Academy, uh, on the second Saturday of, um, December. So just some things to keep in mind, uh, as we get closer and closer to the holidays. All right, guys, um, last week we took a look, uh, we started at verse 11 and I want to read that again because I want to read you the whole paragraph that goes through the end of verse 14 and, and I'll, um, I'll try to make some sense out of that. So let me begin reading in verse 11. Uh, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Um, what we did last week, you may recall, um, I, I tried to, to cover verses 11, 12, and 13. We talked about... Um, uh, uh, Peter, the one who had so much opportunity, um, but yet was motivated by fear of the approval of man. And, and thus he, um, he committed a real uh, mistake here and Paul jumps him over that. Um, there, there was something I'd like to tie up a loose end, uh, that I did not say last week before we move to what I want to talk to you tonight. And it, and it's real brief, but it's in verse 13. I wanted you to see uh, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, I, I wanted you to just notice that even Barnabas, uh, you've got Peter, you know, acting hypocritically and, and because of fear and, um, and Barnabas follows Peter's lead. Uh, he was afraid too. He was a hypocrite too. Uh, so who's next? I mean, who's next going to, who, who else is going to follow their lead? You know, the uh, leaders can uh, are good. They they have influence for good and bad. And here you see their leadership role being used in a very uh, negative way. But um, if Peter and Barnabas get caught up in it, who else is next? Is is the whole church next? I mean, what we could have ended up with is uh, is a church with two branches. That is a Jewish branch and a Gentile branch. And just that was part of the things that were at stake. I, I just wanted to draw your attention that not only Peter was guilty of this hypocrisy uh, motivated by fear, but so was Barnabas. And Barnabas, of course, has a stellar reputation elsewhere in the New Testament. So I just wanted you to see that before we move on. Now, that brings us to verse 14. Um, I want to read you just the first half of verse 14 again. But when I saw, that is, I'm, that's Paul, when I, Paul, saw, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Tell me, what was it that Paul jumped Peter over? Was Peter teaching mistruth, untruth? That wasn't the issue. If you'll notice in here, ladies and gentlemen, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. 
The thing that prompted Paul to get after Peter was conduct. It was not orthodoxy where Peter erred. Uh, I think there's another word in the English English language called orthopraxy. But it was his practice. Now, guys, think about that for a second. Just try for 20 seconds to fix your attention on this possibility. My conduct not being in step, not being in line. My conduct being inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. Let that, let that kind of rattle around in there for a minute, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm really glad you're here. Because this is very important. I mean, this is, this is big time, in my opinion. Think, ladies and gentlemen. Just think with me for a minute. His conduct. Not his teaching. His conduct. Was the thing that made him... The object of the wrath of Paul. A conduct that was not in line with the truth of the gospel. Now just think about that, guys. It's not enough to believe correctly. There's got to be a conduct that is in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, the gospel, of course, let me just real quickly. The gospel is that uh, we're accepted by God, not because of anything that we have done or ever can do, uh, but solely based on the merits of Jesus Christ through God's grace, God's grace in Christ. And all who believe are accepted equally based on that one uh, central message. Um, now with that in mind, that's the truth of the gospel, Peter's behavior, his conduct contradicted those truths. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. So you, uh, you consider yourself to be an orthodox believer. You know, you got all your little theological ducks in a row. Good for you. It's not enough. My conduct must also be in line with the truth. And because it isn't, in Peter's case, he caused a public scandal. Why? Because he was teaching wrong stuff? No, no, no. But because his conduct was not in keeping with, consistent with, the truth of the gospel. So the issue before us tonight is not orthodoxy. It's orthopraxy. Gang, think about this, because to me these are hugely important propositions. The gospel is to regulate all areas of my conduct as well as my thinking. 
We know that part about the gospel is to regulate all areas of my thinking. But the gospel is also to regulate all areas of my conduct. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. All of life must be thought out and lived out in a way that my actions are in keeping with the truth of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, that's huge. Folks, for so many of us, particularly in the South, Christian living is no more than finding the rules and trying real hard to keep them. That is not in line. That is not in keeping with the truth of the gospel. It is not enough to simply believe the gospel. It's got to be applied in such a way that our behavior is affected and our conduct is in keeping with the truth of the gospel. We must, ladies and gentlemen, think out the implications in order that our conduct is also in keeping with the truth of the gospel. Gang, that's what's at stake in verse 14. Do you see that? I'm not making this up. He says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I jacked his jaw in front of everybody. Because the truth of the gospel was at stake, not by what I taught or what he taught, but how he behaved. His practical Ethical choices were to be in keeping with, in line with, the truth of the gospel. Gang, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And it is hugely important. That's why I'm glad you're here. I I wish there were more of us that were here. Um, Guys, um, there's a lot of areas of the Christian life where there is a law. For instance, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, so when it comes to the question of whether you should commit adultery or not, go to the law. It'll tell you, oh, I didn't know that. I'm not supposed to commit adultery. Oh, okay. Well, there it is. Very, very, very simple. But there's all kinds of areas of our lives that must be brought into consistency with the thing that we say that we believe called the truth of the gospel. And before I quit tonight, I'm going to give you six examples, and I'll tell you about those in a minute. But what I'm trying to say to you guys is all of life must be thought out and lived out in a way that my choices are in keeping with the truth of the gospel. Um, so here's what I want to do. Instead of just speaking to you vaguely about all of our choices must be, I want to give you some examples. Um, I got six things. I probably, I'm sure some of you could add to my list of six, but before I get to those examples, I need to do two quick things. I need to make two quick points. And then I want to get to the, to the areas of our lives that have to be lived out 
And by the way, there's more than six, but areas of our lives must, that must be lived out in keeping with the gospel. Okay. But first of all, I got to tell you just, just, just foundationally a couple of quick things. First of all, Okay, when, when the apostle Paul got ready to talk about the gospel, he talked about it as, as if it were a living thing, because it is a living thing. You remember what he says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. He doesn't say the gospel brings power. He says it is power. The gospel is a living thing. In fact, Peter in First uh, Peter one talks about angels long to look into it because it's this living, pulsating thing. So much so that Paul uses this kind of language in, um, <coughs> pardon me, Colossians chapter one, verse six. Um, he says, um, "Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing." The truth of the gospel has come to you in such a way. And by the way, Paul speaks of that thing being planted in 1 Corinthians 3. The gospel has been planted inside of you. And it is giving forth life such that fruit is produced. The gospel is a truth. And so it is, um, it is continually expanding its influence in throughout my life. Here's the point, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you will hear me. We never get beyond our need for the gospel. There is a sufficiency in this living thing that brings forth fruit called the truth of the gospel. The gospel is not some kind of First step, you know, the ABCs of the Christian life. It's, it's more like a hub like of, a, of a bicycle tire and all the spokes that kind of spring off of it. Gang, the gospel is not the minimum that we have to believe to get into heaven. The gospel is the thing by which we make all progress in bringing our behavior and conduct in line with it. It's this living thing that gets planted inside of you and it, and it brings forth fruit, a fruit that is a conduct that's consistent with the thing, with the hub that's been planted in us. Now gang, here's quite an opinion for you. This is just an opinion, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you it's the truth. You weren't supposed to laugh at that, but okay. All of our problems, all of our problems, emotionally, spiritually, practically, all of our problems stem from our failure to apply the gospel to our lives. That's my opinion. We have not thought out the implications of the gospel. And it leads to all kinds of problems in our souls and life. There has got to be among us. There is a need for a continual rediscovery of the provisions of the gospel. Our behavior 
is sub-Christian because our understanding of the gospel is sub-gospel. All of our problems stem from our failure to apply the gospel. Now, guys, that's what I want to show you in the six examples that I've got for you in a minute. But you've got to understand that this gospel thing is a living thing. It's been planted inside you to bring forth fruit. And that fruit is this changed behavior. What Peter does is that he fails to live out consistently with the gospel that's been implanted within him. Now, here's the other thing that you need to know in terms of just by foundation. Then we get to the six items. There are two grave errors which prevent us from enjoying the benefits and the truth of the gospel. Two big things. One of them is legalism. Legalism is basically truth without grace. Legalism um, develops all kinds of rules. Legalism says that my value as a believer is based on my performance. And because it says that and believes that, it comes up with all these rules. And the rules are supposed to guide me the way that I live. And the rules in legalism can lead you to one of two things. It can lead you to a, um, a self-hatred because I knew the rules and I didn't live up to them and I failed. Or it can lead you to self-promotion or self-elevation because you didn't know the rules and you think, well, especially compared to those people, I'm living pretty well compared to them. Therefore, I'm more valuable and I'm more spiritual. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, and I say this with tongue in cheek, but one of the things that some of you need is a good moral failure. You need a good moral blowout so that you will see just how vain is this attempt on your part to, 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 to create a worth by your performance. That's one of the things that prevents us from enjoying the benefits of the gospel. The other thing, of course, on the other end of the spectrum is antinomianism. Whereas legalism is truth without grace, antinomianism is grace without truth. What the antinomian does is write all of his own rules. And so he concocts a God whose love costs him nothing. You know, the whole idea of Jesus dying on a cross for sin, that's not necessary because God loves everybody. Everybody's going to be forgiven. Everybody's going to go to heaven, yada, yada, yada. That is a grace without truth. So it's these two things, ladies and gentlemen, that, that prevent us from enjoying the great provisions and benefits of the gospel. Both of these things are, are errors, understated, but they are attempts on our, poor, on our parts to avoid the need for a savior. Um, because we still want to make, we, we, we like a self-salvation project better than the, the, than the gospel of grace. 
And so um, we, we create the rules and we keep them and we, we think we save ourselves via the rules. Or we create a God uh, that doesn't exist and uh, we think that that God uh, pronounces us clean when in fact we're wicked. Um, gang, you know, I've, I've mentioned these things more than, than, than the average, but folks, the gospel is that truth that shows us a God far more holy than legalists uh, can bear. They think the fact that if they stay away from alcohol and don't go to R-rated movies and they don't dance with anybody but their wives, that that makes them spiritual. Do you understand that God is far more holy than your rules represent? Your rules stifle your soul. Because they don't give forth fruit. They give, they give, they give forth self-hatred or self-exaltation. The, 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 the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, presents to us a God that's far more holy than legalists can bear. And is one far more merciful than, a, than an antinomian can imagine. Now... Um, I'm telling you guys, the remedy for both of these things, the remedy that will get that will kick these two things out of your soul, is a deep, abiding sense of your own sin. And you know, isn't it interesting that the Christian church is moving away from that emphasis of sin? When, when, when you know just how corrupt you are, you wouldn't dream of trying to establish your work through rules. And if you really know how deeply corrupt and how ravaged you are by the fall, you would want a God that has a savior from your sin. I'm saying that it's, it's this awareness of how ravaged I am by sin that helps us avoid those two errors. And in, in addition, it, once I know of my extremities, the extremities of my sin, the cross then becomes electrifying. It becomes exhilarating. When I know my sin And then I discover what's provided for me in Christ at the cross. My soul begins to pulsate. So, ladies and gentlemen, back to my original point. The gospel doesn't ask. The Christian doesn't ask, what is the moral way to act? The Christian asks, what behavior is in line with the gospel. Get rid of the rule book and ask what behavior, what conduct brings me in line with the truth of the gospel. Guys, I've done this before too and I, and I, we, I got to hurry, but you know, Back in 1970, um, Jimmy Young is this pagan, SAE, obnoxious creep, and somebody tells him about Jesus. That was in 1970. 
Here we are in 2014. And you know what somebody needs to tell me about? Jesus. They need to tell me about what he did for sinners. The gospel is not just the beginning that we need to get started. There's an ongoing need to refresh myself and rediscover the provisions of the gospel. And I'm telling you, all of our aberrant behaviors is the result of not properly applying the gospel to our lives. We live like Peter. We believe right. But our, our conduct is not in line with the gospel. Okay, I got, I got about 11 minutes. I have six examples for you. I have these six examples because they are things that come into my office. These are things that I hear about regularly. Not regularly, but I hear about, you know, more than once. Let me give you an example. Um, I find people who come in, and have you ever heard of, of the term, I'm codependent? Have you ever heard what that is? Do you know what you're doing if you're, co- you're a codependent? That is, if you're codependency and all that psychological mishmash. You know what you're doing? You're trying to save yourself by saving someone else. You've heard of the woman, um, it happens frequently, who's being abused by her husband, but she can't leave him. She doesn't leave him, not because she loves him, but because she's trying to save herself by saving him. That's codependency, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel frees me from needing you. I said that last week. Remember, I hope you like me, but if you don't like me, it doesn't matter because I don't need you. You know, The gospel sets me free from needing you. So now that I don't need you, I can serve you. I can, I can serve my alcoholic husband, but I don't need him. So codependency, how do you address it? With the gospel. Number two, suffering. People come into my office and, um, you know, they, 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 something bad has happened in their lives and, you know, they just discovered they got cancer. And they say stupid things like, well, I must be bad if I'm suffering. Do you know what, you know what addresses that kind of mistake? The gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, to say something stupid like that means that you're not living in line with the gospel. If you're a codependent, you're not living in line with the gospel. If you think the reason that you're suffering is because God's mad at you, then what you need to do is go back and rehearse the gospel again. Because ladies and gentlemen, what the gospel tells us, the gospel shows us a God who redeemed us through suffering. So my suffering is sent to me to make me like him. So what is it that helps me make sense out of my suffering? The gospel. Number three, sexuality. Oh, I get that one quite frequently. Um, You know, the, the moralist or the legalist thinks sex is dirty or at best dangerous. And the, uh, the antinomian sees sex as a physical appetite uh, of which I have total control and I can do with as I wish. The gospel 
shows us that sexuality is supposed to be a tool by which I reflect the self-giving love of Jesus Christ, who gave himself without conditions. So how is it that I correct my, my funky neuroses about sex? The gospel. How about that? You don't need drugs. You just need to hear more about what Jesus has done for sinners. Here's number four. And boy, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, this is what, Peter was, this is what Peter's problem was. And I think it's what mine is too. Racism. Um, guys, we love to view ourselves as morally superior to, to, to somebody else. Um, and you know what? We're superior to no one. More legalists are very proud of their culture. Um, we Americans. You Republicans real happy now that you know you got the Senate? Let me just tell you, it's not going to make a bit of difference when you put a bunch of pagans in the, in the legislature. Good luck. Keep hoping, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe you can keep more of your tax dollars. Good for you. The, the, the American is, is high-minded. We're guilty of imperialism. We're, we're guilty of jingoism because we think that our culture is superior to others. But the, but the antinomian sees all cultures as constructs. That is, people just got together and ultimately, ooh, you know, over years. And, and thus the, the, um, the antinomian would say, no culture is to be tampered with. You're not supposed to change it. You leave it alone because it's a cultural construct. Here's what the gospel says, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is critical of all cultures. Knowing that sin has ruined all of them. Um... And we also are told through the gospel that Jesus Christ died for some out of every tribe and tongue and nation. So racial elitism is emasculated. How? By the gospel. Do you get it, ladies and gentlemen? We live out our conduct and behavior in line with the gospel. I got two more. Um, hey, Martin, could you move one way to the... Yeah, I need to see the clock because these people really are counting on me to finish on time. Um, number, two, number five, guilt. Ladies and gentlemen, if I hear this one time, I hear it three times a year. Well, I know that Jesus forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. You know what? I heard it on Monday. I heard that. I heard it on Monday. Somebody emailed me. Could you meet with me this afternoon? Oh, yeah, I'll be glad to. I heard that very thing Monday. So what they're doing is rejecting God's grace and insisting that they somehow earn his favor by performance or go on to punish themselves for the rest of their lives via shame. I know that Jesus forgives me, but I can't forgive my... Don't you ever say that. 
You're not living a life consistent with the gospel. Gang, not forgiving yourself. Here's what that means. It means that you have failed your real God, which is high achievement. And you blew it. And now you don't have the God. I mean, your God has not served you very well. And now you're thinking, oh my gosh, my God, I didn't serve the high achievement God. You know what you need? You need to hear a gospel that tells you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. First John chapter 1, verse 7. Gang, our sin should never surprise us. We have the capacity, every one of you, every one of us have capacities to do things that are front page worthy. It should never surprise us, ladies and gentlemen, that we blew it. And so we don't have to hide. We don't have to be phonies. We don't have to keep secrets. We can talk about our sin, but why? Because the gospel tells me that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Here's my sixth and final one. And I get this, I'm absolutely ad nauseum. It is discussions about self-esteem, high or low. People say, well, his self-esteem is all, his self-esteem is high. Gang, you've heard me say this, at least I hope you have. The best self-esteem is no self-esteem. Or what I have heard called Christ esteem. What you're doing with your pursuit of high self-esteem for you or your children. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you are parenting. And your parenting is not in line with the gospel. What you're doing with this whole self-esteem thing is that you are borrowing from someone else's standards for proper behavior. Oh, people of value, they live like this. My self-esteem is being based on messages that come from me from the outside of me, from outside of me. Here's what the gospel says to that, ladies and gentlemen. It tells me who I am in Christ. His love is value creating, not value recognizing. He didn't say, oh, that Jimmy Young, he's awfully cute and very smart. And, you know, he's, he's awfully loud. But, uh, you know, uh, I think I'll love him. It doesn't recognize values, ladies and gentlemen. It creates value. My self-worth has nothing to do with net worth, folks. And all of this attempt on your part to build your your whole um, value by what you make and what you buy. And I'm telling you, it leads to all kinds of aberrant behaviors. Like um, uh, poor business ethics. Like depression. Here's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Um, We have deficient views of the gospel. (laughs) Which then leads to all kinds of wrong thinking, wrong emotions like, 
envy or greed or pride. And that ends up leading to bad conduct. I told you my opinion was right. All of our problems, both emotionally and spiritually and practically, is because we do not fully appreciate the gospel. I got to quit. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this profound a statement on the part of Paul in verse 14 that alerts us to a, an issue in our own lives that we are, our conduct is not being lived out in line with the gospel. Would you, O oh God, enable us to see and appreciate and enjoy the great beauty of the gospel so that conduct would not deny the gospel, but it would enhance it. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.